Good morning, brothers and sisters. Isn't that a beautiful song? And one just want to stand and contemplate that the fact that your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. Isn't that just such... I sometimes feel after we've done a worship bracket like that, there's not much to say in terms of, of, um, of a sermon or in terms of what more can one say. We need to praise God for the wonderful made. Now, I just want to give a quick background and a recap. We're busy with the story of the Samaritan woman. So, at the previous time I preached, I, we narrowed down... You remember the story? There was a woman at a well. Jesus was sitting at the well, being tired. His followers went into the town to go and buy some food, and he started talking to this woman. And the three things that I brought out in the previous service, that there was a thirst. First of all, Jesus was thirsty, and he asked the woman for a drink. And in the process, he moved that simple question to a spiritual need where he identified a spiritual need in her. And she said, give me something to drink. Give me that water, the living water. So first of all, there was a thirst. Then there was the ask. Jesus asked her, and she ended up asking him for spiritual water. And then we also looked at that water that actually flowed from this woman that went back to the village. And we, that's exactly where we are now. And I, Auntie, will do the scripture reading. It's almost like a, a story that they wrote. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Meanwhile, what happened at the well when she went back to the town? Just then. This is from John 4, verses 27 to 38. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now, most of you may probably know we recently done a survey. Sorry, Mariam, can we display that 
the survey slide. Oh, there. Next one. And that was the recap I've done. Next one. Thank you. We've recently done a survey. It's called Natural Church Development Survey. And it's the first part of implementing a strategy for our church. Those of you that know the history of the church, we now the, the remnants, you know, we starting anew and afresh. And what a wonderful opportunity to um, have an opportunity to grow from a new fresh start. So we've done this survey, and this is what the feedback that we got from most of our members. Most members filled it in. And you can see there, we're good at passionate spirituality. We're good at holistic small groups, although I think there's only a small number of small groups at the moment. We definitely grow that. It's a strength and a pillar of this church in the past and will probably be in the future. Inspiring worship service. Now, you've sang this morning. I think it's pretty good, and a lot of people appreciate the singing, the worship service that we have. But on the bottom side, need-orientated evangelism. Now, I didn't see the result before I already locked in that this sermon is the one that's due to be preached now. Um, loving relationships and empowering leadership. So, need-orientated evangelism. And there's probably not a neater passage in the whole book, of, in the whole scripture, that explain exactly in a nutshell how all of this works. Now, the, I've already dealt a little bit with where Jesus met this woman at the well. And he's overcome all kinds of obstacles to actually talk to her. And now we're into the next bit. And I've titled this sermon, The Father's Will. And the next one is Seeing the Harvest. Again, with hindsight, I should have split this into two sermons, but I didn't. So there I am. The Father's Will and Seeing the Harvest. So we're looking at the text 34 and 35. Jesus, they offered Jesus food and say, have some food. Remember, he stopped at the well while his disciples or his followers went into the town to go and buy him some food. So the assumption was he was hungry already, isn't it? They stopped more or less for lunch. So his disciples went into the town, he spoke to the women, and they come back and they say, here's some food, eat something to eat, have something to eat. And he said then, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And I think we need to just stand still for a split second, or for a small time. What is the will? What is the will of the Father for Jesus? What is the will of the Father for Jesus? And by the way, John, that wrote this piece of history, this gospel, that was his whole emphasis and it comes back to that very favorite verse that all of us should know off by heart, John 3, verse 15. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to rescue all of us. And that is the will of the Father. Also look at John 5, verse 30, where Jesus says, I can do nothing by myself. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So it's clear that Jesus had one purpose to be 
in this world, and that is to do the will of the Father. And then in verse uh, John 6, verse 40, For it's my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What was the Father's will? For Jesus to come and rescue everyone that believes in him. And that was the purpose of Jesus. He came to reconcile us with God. He came to restore our relationship with the Father. And in the process, also restore the relationships between each of us and between all of us. What a wonderful promise and what a wonderful thing to, to know. Do you think it was easy for Jesus? I mean, after all, he was God, came down to earth. He's got to restore these relationships. Not too difficult, is it? No, in fact, it was very difficult. And we see it when it's described to us in Luke 22. And it was after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples. It said there, he went up to the Mount Olive and he took a couple of his followers with him and he said to them, you stay here and pray that you do not fall in the traps of Satan. He then moved off, the Bible says, a stone throw away. This is probably to the back of the room here. Jesus went on his own and he bent down and he started praying and he said, My Father, this bitter cup that's prepared for me, is it at all possible that I do not need to drink it? He prayed so fervently, the Bible described it, that sweat came out and even in the form of blood. And then Jesus ended with these words. But not my will, but your will be done. Can you see that even in this passage, it coming out, Jesus came for one purpose, and that is to do his Father's will. And that purpose was to restore God's creation, the people that he created, in a relationship back to the Father. And for Jesus to accomplish that, he had to take on all our sins and the whole world's sins on him and die and pay the debt completely. The Father's will for Jesus. And then you must notice here that Jesus said, I get my nourishment, I get my food from doing my Father's will. It's not just something that he was excited about and therefore he didn't feel like eating. No, it was fundamentally something that he needed. That doing his Father's will was actually his nourishment. Now, food and all of that, and I'll come back to it, is such an integral part of all our lives. It's such an amazing symbol to remind us of Jesus 
feeding by doing his father's will. Let's look at the next section, and that is the harvest that is ripe. Jesus said to his disciples, lift up your eyes and see the harvest is ripe, or the harvest is white. In those days, the, most of the harvest that he was, Jesus was referring to was wheat. And I've actually got two photos on the initial slide, you've probably seen it, where if you look at wheat that is ripe, it becomes white. And that was Jesus in the first place referred to real seed, real harvest. But in a spiritual sense, he referred to people that he came to rescue. And he wanted to open up his disciples' eyes. It's not the only reference to this kind of thing. He also referred to the harvest, and he also referred to the workers that's got to go into that harvest. And in other parts of the scripture it says, it's few. In another area it says, um, ask the Lord, i.e. pray, that, uh, that he sent workers out to this harvest. In Luke 10 verse 2, and he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. In this particular case, Jesus said to them, generally speaking, you plant a seed and then you have to wait four months before, this, before it um, bears uh, fruit or before it's ripe to be harvested. I I'm sometimes a bit concerned about us getting further and further removed from farms and further and further removed from the soil. And there's been tests done where they ask children, where does uh, something like carrots come from? And they've got no idea beyond the shop. We get it in the shop. They've got no idea of planting a seed that grow and grow. And any one of you that's got children or grandchildren or influence other children, it's a very nice thing to do, to plant seed with them and see it grow and let them get used to this thing. But in this particular case, Jesus actually said, in this case, you're going to see a seed that's planted and bear harvest virtually immediately. In this particular case, you're going to see the sower meeting up with the reaper. Because Jesus just told this woman, he said to her, I am the Savior. You're right, I am the Messiah. She went back to the village. And in our scripture, which we'll look at next week, or next time I preach at any rate, everybody in that village came out to see this man that this woman was telling them about. So the harvest in this particular case, was instant. Now, I think he, Jesus had to say to them, open your eyes. Can you see a strangeness in this story? Here's Jesus' followers, his close followers that love him, that learn from him, and so on. Twelve of them, I think it was twelve at that point, twelve of them went into a town to buy food. All 12 came back 
still having a feeling we're in Samaria, a place where people have intermarried other people and they're not as good as us. They're not worshiping God at Jerusalem. They had all of these kinds of resistance. And there's no evidence in the Bible that they told a single soul in that city or in that town that they are actually with Jesus. They actually did not bear witness to these people. They did not see them as a potential harvest. Jesus told this woman, I am the Messiah. And she couldn't wait. She, in fact, left the jug that she came to pull water with right there. She couldn't wait to get back to the town to tell them, I've seen the Messiah. Or she's put it in a question, I think he's the Messiah. It's a woman, as I've pointed out before, that was definitely promiscuous. She already had five husbands. In Jewish religion, that's pretty bad, getting divorced. And in general speaking, it's the man that divorces the woman. So she already had five men that rejected her and asked for divorce. And the man she's living with right now does not even want to marry her. She was not somebody that's important in that village. But yet, this message, this seed that she just received, that this is the Messiah, is so important to her that she couldn't wait to get back into that village to tell everybody, Jesus is here. While Jesus looked at his 12 followers and he said to them, you're going to see a harvest. It's a harvest that you didn't plant. But you're going to see the harvest. And as we will see next time, they came out of the village and begged them and, and Jesus' disciples to stay. And they stayed there another two weeks teaching them all about Jesus and about God. There's one thing I quickly want to look at, and that is sowers and reapers. In the scripture, it says there, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And that is true. It's often true that a laborer, the sower, might not see what gets reaped. In many cases, I believe that in this congregation, we're going to reap the fruit of people that sowed before us. We will see a harvest from work that Johan and Obi did in this church. We will see it. And I'm sure I will often be saddened by the fact that may, they may not see it. But there's people, Adrian de Brun and other pastors that's gone before them, of which we often are still seeing the harvest. And we will see it even more. In Luke 10 again, the harvest is plentiful. God saying that to us today. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I want to 
look back at the scripture and apply it a little bit by going back to the church life survey. And this is an application. So the first part of this application is, let's all pray that God open our eyes. How many people do you, you and me, and I, probably the worst, meet, but I somehow think they don't need to hear the gospel? Maybe it's my dentist, and he's stinking rich anyway, so what the heck, he doesn't need the gospel. Maybe it's the lady that work in the checkout thing. Actually, I don't even want to make eye contact with them. It's nice. They've got this perspex screens on now. I don't even need to listen to them. But is that really true? Maybe it's your hairdresser that you can tell the story of Samson and Delilah and say, you know, previous time a lady cut somebody's hair, her boyfriend's hair, he got into serious trouble. Do you know the story? And you got an opportunity to tell them the story. I was thinking about, so first of all, pray that God change our eyes, that we see the people. I'm currently reading a book that my friend Jesse has given me, and it says how to uh, preach in, in this world of skepticism. We live in a skeptic world, isn't it? Just imagine yourself, go and tell somebody the gospel. What do you expect? Well, I for one expect that they'll be skeptic. They'll say, ach, you know, don't give me your religious stuff. Isn't it? And yet, that's what's required of us. This is what the Bible requires of us. And we see an example. So let... I pray that God opens my eyes and open all of our eyes so that we actually see the need that is there. It's very easy to turn away, and it's sometimes much easier than actually talking to people about God to say, mm, I don't think they need it. Maybe it's not safe for me in some form or other. So the first thing is, may God open our eyes so that we can actually see the harvest like he opened the eyes of his followers and his disciples so they can actually see these people, these Samaritans that was considered not useful in, by the, most of the Jews. They are actually the people that ended up to be the harvest. It is amazing, you know, Jesus didn't even do a single sign there. He didn't heal the blind. He didn't raise up anyone from the dead there at all. They just believed they were ripe. So this is the second part of, in my view, our prayer and what we need to focus on. That God raise up people that are searching and wanting to hear the gospel. So on the one hand, let us see the harvest. But on the other hand, let people start having a need for the gospel. Let them reach the point where they know that their own endeavors cannot restore them back to God. 
and cannot heal the relationships that they're dealing with, with God and with each other. People need to reach that end point. Sometimes I wonder about COVID-19, and I mentioned it before. There's a sense in which God brought the world to a standstill, isn't it? Not by a massive big calamity like a big bomb or something that explodes or anything. A small little virus. A small little virus brought the world to a standstill. So that's one way of getting a little bit of a hook to talk to people. Another one that I just thought of myself is a lot of us is very um, aware of food. I think if you actually measure how much time, well, at any rate me, spend on time on talking about food, how can I make it even more delicious? How can I definitely eat less and lose weight uh, and so on? And yeah, you can, you can easily get a hook there and say, you know what? Jesus, at some point, said, after he was hungry, he said, I don't need the food. All I need is to do the will of my Father. Is that not a neat hook? You can actually tell somebody about this very story. So two things for me, at any rate, to take home. May God open our eyes so that we can see the harvest clearly. And may God open the hearts of those that should receive his word and his gospel. May God bless us and help us in that, where we start working on the strategy in this church. May God bless us all. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I do want to pray that you open our eyes. Let us see the harvest. Let us see the people around us with the love that you have for them. Let us see them as created by you in your image. God, will you grant us the boldness? Will you also open in them a need for the gospel? A need where they say, I need something more than this world can offer. I need something from God. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.